0: All right. I am successfully recording. Okay, so uh, this class, uh, you came last time. Pastor King was, was graciously uh, stepping in—not um, stepping in for me, but was kicking the class off, which wasn't really fair to do because I was—I was. I was um, uh, I kind of had the vision for the class and said, "Here, you teach the first one because I'm still in a puddle of tears recovering from my daughter's uh, wedding, and and you'll be better suited for it." He did a great job uh, covering that that opening material on conflict, but what he didn't get to set the stage for that I wanted to do is to kind of address that the reason for the title. Um, The title for this class is uh, the battle for your children. And when you hear that, you probably think the way that I naturally hear that uh, is to think of it in the cultural context, that there are all these forces that are waging, uh, trying to capture the souls of our children, uh, and and we need to protect them from, from all these, these these evils that are in the world around them. I, I understand. I sympathize with that. Um But I also want you to think in this way, I want you to hold both at the same time, I want you to think of the battle for your children being the battle that your children have for themselves. Uh, that you're not only contending for them and for their faith and for their growth, uh, but you are also preparing them to be who they need to be, uh, to be engaged with the culture in a way that 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 allows them to persevere in their faith, allows them to to glorify God, that allows them to advance the gospel. And so we're trying to we're not we're trying to keep ourselves from thinking of our children as as uh, pristine that they'll they'll be okay if we can just protect them from evil things. Um, or to think that, that we are trying to um, uh, just not let bad things happen to them, but instead to think, no, these are, these are, are those that God has entrusted us with, um, and that we have a stewardship and responsibility to equip them to go out into the world. Where does that come from? Well, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127. These are, these are verses that you know well. You probably have heard these many times in the course of sermons, uh, in a family context... This is a song, a, a song of ascents, a, uh, a psalm of Solomon. Uh, and if you look at verse 3 of Psalm 127, it says, "...behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate." First off, when it says children are our heritage, they're an inheritance. They are, um, they are a, a gift, and in a sense, um, an inalienable. Uh, gift from the Lord. It is a. It is something which belongs to you. It is as property. Um, you have children entrusted to you. Um, they are your children. Um, at the same time, they are God's gift to you. So they are God's children given to you in your house. And what does He compare them to? He says they are as arrows um, in the hands of the warrior. What What are arrows for? Yeah, for killing people, yes, thank you. Go right for it. Um, yes, they are, arrows are meant to destroy. They are, they are like bullets, they are outwardly facing, they are meant to destroy a target. Um, they are not trophies to look at. Um, they are not something that you are, um, are saying. They, they need to be saved for the purpose of, of saving. They're saved so that they can be useful at the time they need to be useful. And so, so a full quiver is not to celebrate, look how full my quiver is. It's to say, look how equipped I am for battle. And so we, we care for our arrows. Um, if you were in that ancient uh, context, in ancient Near East, and uh, er, making arrows that were, that were straight, um, with the right material, that were appropriately tipped, that had the, the, the um, fletchings, what do you call it fletchings? Is that it? Yeah, the, the feathers on the back of the arrow, making sure that those are rightly oriented to, to put the spin on it that you want. Um, that would have been a craft. There there would have been a lot that was involved in creating and shaping those to be what they needed to be. But again, it would not be so that I would have this trophy arrow. It would be so that I would have this thing that's useful, that's outward facing. And, and the psalm actually gets to that point whenever it says, uh, They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak... Uh, with their enemies in the gate. What happens to the children? What, what do they end up doing? It it takes it from the metaphor of the arrows it, and it makes it a reality. It says, no, they're going to be outward facing toward the world. They are are going to be looking outward, and they are going to be engaging at the wall of the city. They're going to face into the world and be able to engage with their enemies. And so, so it's actually a a very moving uh, psalm in the direction of not saying, "Oh, it's so great to have kids." Yes, it is great to have kids. Love my children. They're they're precious to me. That's that's by God's design. But also to look at them and say they're meant for something more than me to look at and adore. Uh, They're meant to be outward facing. Go back again for more context in the Psalm. Back to the beginning, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stands, stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. Um, for so he gives his beloved sleep, or gives to his beloved in their sleep. Um, are different ways to read that point of that being is that the the endeavor to raise your children uh, is not something that is that is about your laying awake at night and worrying about them. Uh, it is entrusting them to the Lord. And so so let that be sort of the framework. Think about the battle for our children, the battle that they are equipping that we are equipping them to be engaged in and that, that we are relying on the Lord to do that. So all that preface back around. Now we're going to talk about RMs uh, rescue missions uh, for your children. But a little bit uh, in the way of kind of preparing you for that. Um, there, there's a, a wonderful book came out a few years ago, written by Pagan, a uh, social psychologist, uh, Jonathan Haidt. Uh, he co-writes it with another guy, uh, uh, Greg Lukanoff. Um, and it's called The uh, Coddling of the American Mind. Uh, How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure. Okay, the coddling in the American Mind. And and, and what Haidt does in that book is is he surveys kind of this pattern that that we fell into going back late 70s, early 80s. Um, We we had the beginning of the the movement of fearing for the lives of our children. Um, And most of us, let's see, if you are... Man, it's getting older and older. But if you're, say, like 40, maybe 45 and older, you have these really cool childhood memories. And there are these awesome things that you did that are mostly illegal, um, that would get your parents arrested in the present-day context, um, that that just... uh, they don't happen anymore. I grew up on top of Santa Ana Mountain. Uh, kind of a joke. Uh, Kenny's he's going he's gonna to laugh at that. But it, in Central Texas, there, there aren't, you know, there are mountains. Uh, but there is a local peak that you can see about 20 miles away because it's so flat. Um, that's the Santa Ana Mountain, my high school mascot, Santa Ana Mountaineers. Um, and pretty much from the time that I was probably about 10 years old on, uh, most summer days were spent with my, my brother... Uh, and his friends or, or my friends up on top of that mountain looking for rattlesnakes. That's what we would go around and we'd flip over rocks and look for, look for rattlesnakes. Uh, we would go through a... There was a chasm that was there that was uh, where they used to do blasting and they still do blasting uh, for... Um, uh, for granite, for, for, for highways, um, and it created this cave, which is these rocks that were kind of split apart, that were ready to fall apart, and we would, we'd crawl our way through that, through these, these, you know, things that just, horrible idea. Worst ideas possible. But well, we grew up with that kind of danger. But, but sometime in the 80s, um um we began to publicize child abductions. We made famous the white van with the man with the the puppy or the ice cream or whatever else, and said um, this is incredibly dangerous. We started looking for Adam, and 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 there were these horrific stories that were true, um, that were truly horrific. There were awful things that had happened to particular people, but they began to be televised and publicized in such a way that we began to reshape our children's lives around those kind of things. Um, And we said, we must keep them safe at all costs. And, And so we began to take more and more things away to keep them safe. Now, granted, there are good things that we have... You know, we probably don't need to play lawn darts. Okay, you know, throwing a spiky arrow up, you know, as high as you can, and, and trying to catch it, which is more like what we tried to do with it. Um, maybe not the best idea. Um, but in doing that, something is giving is given up. Is that you have um, uh, you you begin to lose the ability to assess risk. You don't know what you're capable of. If you don't crawl up in a tree um, or jump off the roof of your house um, uh, or jump from a tree onto the roof of your house, checking all the boxes of things I grew up doing, um, or jumping out of the tree onto my dad's uh, metal shop, um, bad idea to jump on a tin roof. There's a big dent there. It's still there today. Um, kids don't think always, but you, you learn what you're capable of. You learn... What you're comfortable with you hurt yourself and you say you know what that's probably too much um, and you, you know hopefully don't don't hurt yourself too destructively but we lost our ability to assess risks as parents we would uh, you would probably think that um, there's a high probability of your child be being, ab- being abducted by someone else um, in our culture uh, do you know what the, the, the probability of that is actually happening um, here let me give you some stats this was just kind of fun. I won't go into all the areas I could have, but a 1999 study put annual missing children at between 800,000 and 1.3 million estimated uh, children that went missing. Ha! (laughs) That's horrifying. Okay, A million children in one year going missing? Maybe we should look a little closer at that statistic. You you dig down a little bit more, it turns out that 0.2% of that... um, represent a child that went missing that was not shortly located. Okay, so now we're down to um, 2,500 people, roughly, that went missing. Um, the vast majority of those were runaways from institutions. So these were people in institutional care that said, I'm sick of it, I'm out of here, this would have been a, uh, a middle to late teenager that, that, that went on the run. It actually becomes a really small number. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the abductions that you hear, most of those are family abductions where you have divorced parents and one child says, I want the kids course says I couldn't have them, I'm taking them anyway. And they grab a kid and go. So it, so it ends up being you know, this, this really scary thing that, that, oh, somebody's waiting to grab my kids. It's not to say that, that doesn't happen. Not to say that's not out there in some way. But to orient our lives around something that's, that's incredibly small is a bad idea compared to the dangers of not orienting our lives in certain ways. And so things that are more serious risk, you can think about something like, like drunk driving or distracted driving. These are real things um, that happen. I bet if I, if I ask how many of you knew of a, a child that was abducted that didn't return home, um, I don't suspect anybody in here knows of somebody. If I ask you if you had a friend um, or somebody that you were in high school with that, that was killed in a drunk driving accident, you would probably raise your hand and say, yeah. Um, if you've heard of a teenager recently get into an, uh, an accident because they were driving distracted because they were on their phone, you would say, yeah, I, I know of that. That's a, that's a reality that's, that says something about a parental stewardship and equipping that you should think about. Um, suicides are, are far more prevalent than you would like to think. Um, most universities will average one or more uh, a year, um, and that's something to say at, at a, you know, Universities are large frequently, but, but not so large that that should be happening all the time. Something around 1 in 10,000 teenagers or early, early adolescents a year will die from um, by suicide. That tells you that's that's a risk that's much greater than the guy in the white van uh, running off your child is the, is, is the risk of your child committing suicide. Why would a child commit suicide? Well, there's a multitude of reasons that would go into that, and as some of those we'll look at. And so again... Reminding you, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house, we have to be in the mode of trusting, entrusting trusting our children to the Lord and depending on Him for them. Okay. So what what should we be seeing as the threats to our children? I put on the board here, you probably can't read it, it's probably too small, I'm probably in your way. Um, but but five, what I call big five Somewhat overlapping, kind of messy categories, but big five areas for rescue missions for your children. I'm going to tell you what a rescue mission is eventually. Okay, uh, emotional rescue missions, relational rescue missions, sensual res- uh, rescue missions, educational, and vocational rescue missions. Okay, I'll give a little explanation for, for each of those emotions uh, the big 3 from middle and high school uh, not as much for younger children but that you get to that point are anger anxiety and depression and the numbers are profound on those and they are they are uh, they're increasing National Institute for Mental Health says the prevalence of anxiety disorder among adolescents was about 38% for females and about 26% for males. Um, Any of you, again, 45 and older, uh, did any of you know of anyone that had anxiety disorders as a child? Um, Probably not. It it wasn't much of a factor, but it is today. There are things that, that that are contributing to that. Uh, anger issues? You, did you know people? With, yes, you did. You know a lot of people with anger issues. Um, that one's not going away. Um, sometimes the psychological categories change. Depression is certainly up. Uh, something like twenty-five percent of adolescent females get diagnosed in one way or another with depression. Uh, something like uh, almost ten percent of males do uh, these days. And and so so just to frame it for us, where do where do emotions come from? Um, And where do those those extra level of emotions come from? Well James tells us where wars and fights come from. He says, Do not come for your desire for pleasures that war in your members. You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask, or you ask and you you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the Scripture says, In vain the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Is it a sin to feel a certain way? No. Is it a sin to aggravate negative feelings... By contributing to those negative feelings, by uh, creating a world for yourself that produces those negative feelings. Yes that is sinful and so so one of the things and I, I'm not getting to solutions at this point but one of the things to think about would be that like perhaps the role of social media a lot of the anxiety has gone up since the advent of the the um, not only the smartphone but of the social media platforms that for especially for young girls that allow them to compare themselves constantly with the best version that is posted up by some other female somewhere or what the algorithms, the algorithms produce and send their ways. Is if you are a female and you are on Instagram, you are going to be bombarded by images of people who have this perfect version of themselves that they're letting you see. How does that make you feel? Okay, as a guy, how does it make it feel when you see another guy's toys, his, his guns, or his boat, or his technology and that he's installed in his home? How does that make you feel? What's that? Yeah, thank you, Zach. Yeah, it makes you want that. I want to have that. Well, when you have the want to have is not a toy that you can go buy, which is painful that you can't if you can't go buy it. But it is to say, I want my face to look different. I want my body to be different. I, I want my relationships to be different. Those things you can't just go purchase. Um, it, it's incredibly painful, and it, and it makes for a world where. And there's going to be a lot more of that kind of anxiety. So that's just kind of uh, one of the, one of the, the, the categories. The second, second place is a relational rescue mission. Uh, two, two main areas there would be wrong friends. Um, Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Um, and in Proverbs 1.10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15, My son, do not walk in the way with him. Hold back your foot from their paths. Um, some friends are terribly destructive. And sometimes we don't realize the destructiveness of a friendship until we dig deeper and find out what might be contributing to um, to a condition or a situation that our child uh, would find himself in or herself in. And so there there might be friends to protect from. Uh, but there's also the problem of friendlessness, the lack of friends. Friends. Uh, Genesis 2:18 we're reminded Lord said it's not good for man to be alone I'll make a helper fit for him we're, we are made for relationships we're not good by ourselves and when we feel alone uh, that is that is uh, that puts us in a bad place because we are meant to have connections with other people. we're, we're designed to be a part of the body of Christ and so friendliness just hurts. Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a, re- a good reward for their toil. Uh, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no one to lift him up. Um, there are things that contribute to friendlessness or that make for bad friends. Um, some of the, the things that would go along with that would be uh, gossip. I uh, asked my 13-year-old, Wait, what are, what are the, what's the worst you know part of friendships? Um, and she said, Gossip. Gossip is definitely a thing, and this is um, if you if you don't know this, girls are awful. Uh, middle school girls are the worst. Um, they are you know so cute, seemingly so precious, uh, but they go to war with each other in horrible ways. Uh, they they commit acts of violence that men would never do. Um, it's verbal violence. Um, uh, and and it's it's it can be terrible and it's and it's and what's what's so deadly about it is the perpetrators of it are not so evil as you would like them to be does that make sense you want them you, you hear of this thing that they do and you want to assume the very worst about them but but there are things that they're doing that are that are acting out of their sin nature uh, that are calculated at a deep level and at the same time of which they're completely oblivious to how awful it is that go on with girls. So, save that for later. Dads, you need to know this about your daughter and her enormous potential for evil. uh, uh, oppression is another thing that kids do. We, we usually hear the term bullying. The biblical term would be oppression. The Psalms have a lot to say about it. It's a it's a real thing. So don't just say, oh, you know, bullying. Everybody's says bully. No, it goes on, and, it, and it's and it's terrible. And you're when you're the object of being uh, oppressed by someone else, and they make you a target, um, it, it can create misery, and it can also create that loneliness uh, that happens because when you're oppressed, who wants to touch out? Who wants to touch you? Who wants to be near you? You're a leper whenever someone's targeted you for oppression. And unless there, there's some hero to stand up and say, Hey, that's not cool. You, you take that back or I'm going to punch you in the mouth. Unless unless that, that hero comes along to do that, um, nobody wants to be associated with that person that's being oppressed. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a risky category to associate. And so that's a real thing. So relational issues, another rescue mission. Sensual issues. Um, by this I mean those things that are that are highly addictive um, uh, and uh, are soul destroying uh, because of the, the place in, in our in our in our minds and our bodies and our souls which were affected by that. Um, you can think of things that fit in that sensual category like video games, um, which are designed in their nature to keep you at the screen to keep you coming back for more. Uh, social media, the same thing. Um, you know the. Think about again if you're if you're an old person like me. Think about pictures. Um, you know how did we get pictures? We we you know we, somebody might have had a Polaroid, which you were rewarded with that horrible picture that came out of that that horrible camera. Um, or if you wanted the better picture, you had to take it, hope something came out. You know, wait for uh, a month to get it back from the developer, um, and then sort through about about you know twenty four of those because they were expensive, um, and then maybe there's one of those that that was worth keeping. The rest were you know you kept, but it was like this random picture of the edge of a truck and it was blurry and something else like that. You, you, your pictures were precious and rare, and you didn't have that many of them, I and mean, you keep came you keep you kept coming back to the same ones. Uh, versus the ones today that just rotate one after the other after the other that that, that keep feeding themselves and, and they keep coming back keep you coming back because they're they're new. Uh, drugs, of course, is a sensual issue. Um, things that that are designed to make you feel a way to escape the pain that's in your world uh, they, they pull you back into them um, they are some of them not by nature more than psychologically addictive and some by nature are highly addictive and, and create chemical dependencies which draw you back uh, and then pornography would be the same uh, as as chemical addiction uh, each each of these um, you know there, there's some version of this in some way not pornography per se, but sex in itself, that, that are good, that that are designed to be good. There's a way in which God is honored um, by the, the these, these things where there are tools that can serve us, but in the hands of those who are not equipped to use that tool in a proper way, they're incredibly destructive. Um, and so it's again, it's a reminder that the rescue area, there's some things that our kids are not ready for because they don't have the tools to use them. Same way as if you're in the military, um, when, when the basic trainees show up on the first day, uh, you don't hand them their, their M16, you don't hand them the, the M60, you don't hand them a, a, a shoulder fired uh, rocket launcher. Um, they're not equipped to do that. They don't, know, they don't know, the only thing they're going to do is something horribly destructive and they're going to hurt themselves uh, or someone else unnecessarily. You wait till you've had lots of training and, and you've developed certain critical skills that, and levels of trust and confidence that they can obey orders and do what you tell them. Then you say, okay, now here's this. Keep this pointed level and downrange and don't put the ammunition in until I tell you. You can trust them at that point. Young, young children are not ready to be put into these kind of uh, highly addictive, highly sensual situations. They don't need an unrestricted smartphone when they're 11 years old. That's a horrible idea. Um, they don't need to to go on unsupervised dates when they're 13 years old. That is a horrible idea. Um, and you kind of know that, uh, but you kind of forget that because everyone else is doing it. And the culture makes it seem really normal and it's not that they shouldn't be dating at some point. It's not they shouldn't have a smartphone at some point. It's not they shouldn't have lots of access to lots of things at some point in time. And you want to move them towards that, but in a way so that they are equipped to deal with it, and have the ability to say no uh, when they get there. If not, they need to be rescued from that. Uh, a fourth one are educational issues, and this is this is kind of a tricky area. But these are areas where there are sometimes rescue missions involved. Um, and this is when a child's competencies are misaligned um, with the educational environment's competencies. Does that make sense? When a child's competencies are misaligned with the educational opportunities' competencies. So, in other words, sometimes there's a bad fit. Sometimes a certain child doesn't belong in a certain place. You might, you might have um, uh, five kids... Uh, six seven i don't know how many laps are in here but but um uh white's lots of lots of kids in that that lower corner over there um, that you have you may have one child who's who who just zooms through this and they're they're so good at this, and th- their teachers love them socially they're great it, it just, it's all everything's just clicks, and you're like. We're very smart parents. We made a great choice um, yeah. in, in our education. Um, and then you get another kid that comes in, and they're, and they're, like, they're pretty good with it, and they, and they, they do for the and you like, yeah, we're really, yeah. Okay, and, you know, they're different. Our kids are different, but we work with them. Um, but maybe by the time you get that fourth or fifth kid, you get this one that pops up that, that things are not clicking. And it could be because of a learning disability. But sometimes it could be an environmental thing that, that you just weren't ready for. It could be, um, as I've come to find out, there are bad classes and good classes. Now, I don't know if you know this, but every grade level is not the same every year. The, you know, the, the professional educators in here know that. They're like, yeah, absolutely I know that. Some groups of kids are awful. They're, they're terrible, and there's a low level of sanctification. There is a lack of conversion that is evident in that group of people. And, and that can be really hostile. And again, it's assessing your child and saying, are they ready to be at this place at this time? Are they equipped for that? Some kids, yeah. They, they, they can handle it, and they can move right through that, and they'll be kind of isolated from that, that group of kids. Uh, sometimes they're being swallowed up by that. And you might say, you know what? Something's got to change. Um, whatever that is, got to figure that out, but something may have to change. Um, it can also be true not only with, with, with the, the peer group, it can also be true with the teachers. Um, you may have had a child who did not connect or resonate with a certain teacher. Um, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Again, there's a response required on your part. It might be equipping that child to deal with that situation, saying, you know what, at some point in time you're going to have a boss who's going to be pretty awful. Um, that's just the nature of, of the game of life, is that sometimes you're going to have to answer to somebody who's a jerk, who doesn't get your personality, who doesn't... Um, uh, their way of thinking and viewing the world and how things get done doesn't align with the way that you you think and function and get things done. And so it's going to be tough. And sometimes this is equipping, this is an awesome opportunity, and you praise God for that. You say... Thank you, Lord, for, for creating this opportunity. Let me help them grow through this. But sometimes it, it it might be no. This is there's an animus here that we don't understand it, know where it comes from, um, and it might be it might require you getting involved in some way um, if that's appropriate. That's pretty rare, but it could be something like that. So that's the fourth one, and then, and then related to educational issues are vocational issues. Um, you know, those of you with seven year olds, you're like, what? It becomes a thing. Uh, typically, it becomes a thing about 11th grade, junior year, um, when lots of people start to ask, so what are your plans over the next couple of years? What do you, what do you mean plans? Like plans for life. Oh, Panic sets in. Uh, maybe it sets in for you as parents. I, I haven't thought about that. We just kind of thought we'd just go on this path, and it all emerged, and it doesn't. So, so equipping them... Um, in uh, helping them to the, to the crisis of vocation is a responsibility that you have. The way I would answer that kind of initially is to say that you need to help them think about their Christian vocations uh, predominantly. Um, the, the, the calling, what we mean by vocation, uh, as a Christian, to answer the call of the gospel, um, to, 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 uh, to, to serve your family, uh, that calling, your church your community, and then ultimately as a Christian worker. And so teaching them what it means to be a Christian worker, because a lot of the job details can, can sort themselves out in time. Now you're, you're assessing, you're trying to figure out they more, more wired this way, more wired that way. That is your job to help them with that. Even there's lots of resources that you can use for that, to grow them in those areas, to discern more what their equipping is. But more than anything, give them confidence that they can work hard and work as unto the Lord, and be rewarded for that in a sufficient way that will that will do them good. Okay, so, th- so those are the rescue missions, that the big five, I would say, that, that are going to present themselves at some point along the journey for you. Um, now, how do we do a rescue mission? Well, let me start with bad rescue missions. Does anyone remember the uh, or have you ever heard of or read about in history books um, uh, the, the Iran hostage uh, affair? And do you, does anyone remember that there was a rescue mission uh, for that? Does anybody remember how that rescue mission turned out? Somebody want to? Uh, yeah, yeah, Stephen Reed's going. Eh. It turned out. turned out badly. Um, there, there was an attempted rescue mission uh, to to rescue these these hostages. Um, I don't remember the. I can't remember if there is it 102. It, it was a big group of people from the Iranian uh, embassy that were that were taken hostage, and. Um, in the course of trying to rescue them, the, the, the different service branches said, I want a piece of the rescue. And so everyone starts fighting to get a piece of the pie because everybody wanted the glory of rescuing these, these American hostages. And what a great thing to want to be involved in, to rescue American hostages. You know, Talk about patriotic kind of things that you could do. Uh, but what happened is that egos drove the rescue mission and people motivated not by how do we get these people back, but how do I make sure I get to be a part of this? Um, how do uh, how can I be involved and get some of the credit and the glory in this? And what happened is they put together a horrible mission. Uh, you had radios that didn't work with each other. You had m- machines that worked that didn't work in certain environments. And 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 it, the result of it was that several people died part of the rescue uh, operation, and nobody got rescued. Um, point. Ego is not useful in rescue missions. Bad elements of a rescue mission, shooting the messenger. Somebody comes to you and tells you there's a problem with your kid. Don't be mad at that person. They are not at fault. Even if they're misguided in something they're saying and they, they haven't pro- appraised the situation correctly, say thank you. That is your response. I'm going to tell you now. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to you know, wonder what I'm going to say when somebody tells me something horrible about my kid. Just say thank you. Thank uh, you. Any more information I want to know? Thank you for giving me that. If you hear anything else, let me know. Please, thank you. I appreciate that. That's it. That's all you need to say. You don't need to say anything else. don't need to defend your kid. don't need to attack that person. Don't shoot the messenger. Bad bad rescue mission. Overreacting. Second bad rescue mission. Um, children don't like it when their parents act like children. Did you know that? They need you to be in control. They need you to be calm. They, they need you to, to act like... You are calmly and rationally thinking about the situation. If you get emotional and you react, and you start wanting to return in kind, even if if they've been horribly oppressed by someone uh, in their class, if they see you freaking out about it, that's worse than the oppression. And and, and they will let you know by saying, "You know what? I got it. I I, I don't want you involved. Um, this is this is not helping. Overreacting is 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 not helpful. Um, a third bad rescue mission, failing to acquire the proper target. Don't shoot the victim. Sometimes your child is the victim. Um, that could legitimately be the case. Don't attack them for something that they struggled to deal with. Uh, they they know they're struggling. Don't say we well, should have just said this. Right, Dad, you weren't there. You know, that, easy for you to say. Sometimes it's really hard. Deal with sin in your own camp, but don't 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 shoot the victim either. And a fourth bad rescue mission is rescuing when rescuing isn't needed. Uh, and sometimes parents do this they want to dive in and help when the kid really needs the freedom and the opportunity to work the thing out it's just going to take a little time they just need a little emotional support they just need you to be there tell them you love them and say hey look I'm here if you want some more help that, that might be the case too but it's good to let them struggle so what are the elements of a good rescue mission five minutes ten, ten points no problem we're good nobody panic um, number one view it as an opportunity to glorify God Whether then you eat or drink or rescue your children, it is an opportunity to glorify God. Look at it that way. Retrain your mind to say this bad thing happening to my precious one is an opportunity to glorify God. I, I caught my son looking at pornography. Praise God, my son has been caught looking at pornography. There's a sanctification issue which is now clear to me. Um, there's you know, something that I wasn't guarding or whatever else. Now I know. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's deal with this. You're not happy about the sin, but you're praising God that you are involved in it and going to be part a part of dealing with it. Number two, as I said before, react appropriately. James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness... Of God, uh, Your goal is righteousness. You are trying to be righteous in this, as in not self-righteous, but as in be right before God. Uh, and the way to be right before God is to be calm, to be controlled, to be wise um, in how you react. Uh, number three, get the details. Proverbs 18.13, "...who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him." Um, However you get there, call and collect yourself and then ask questions of your child. Try and draw out what went on. Get as many details as you can from their perspective. Talk to your spouse and bat this around. This is something that you need to work through together. Um, you have different brains, praise God, for them. And they should be used to your benefit. It's not good for a man to be alone. A helper comparable to him. The two of you work on this together to try and come to a good understanding of the situation. Um... And then gather information from people that is useful and helpful for you. Uh, remember, gossip is not talking about other people. We hear that definition all the time. Gossip is talking about other people behind their back. No, it's not. Um, you're, if so, your shepherding elders are guilty of gossip all the time when they, when they talk about issues and pray for you in, uh, in the congregation. Um, gossip is when you are delighting in, in evil about other people and sharing that. That's what gossip is. Was when you hear something bad happens to somebody else and you have fun telling somebody else about that bad. That's gossip. Um, And so, get details. Talk to people. Get information. Be transparent. try, Try to deal in truth and facts, not the world as you want it to be, but the world as it actually is, so you can apply God's truth to the truth. And don't react too soon, unless a quick reaction is essential. Number four, do the work at your home base. As a rescue mission, you got to um, narrow the scope of your concern. Try to, try to find out what can we do here with us. Don't try to relocate the problem outside your home. Try to deal with as much as you can inside your home because that's the one that you have the most ability to deal with. And think about the, the qualifications for an elder. Must be one who rules his own house well. A deacon. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Those are aspirational for every Christian. It's not just elders that should do that. It's not just deacons that should do it. Every Christian should be aspiring to rule their house well. And so, start doing the work to your own base. Number five, work with your allies. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Do you see the obligation that Peter's saying? It's like, we have to be working together on this. We're on the same team here. So, especially if you are in a Christian school, you're dealing with people who have Christian commitments on the front end. You know, maybe different churches that are involved there, but Christian commitments on the front end—you should be able to have honest conversations. You should have shared goals for your children, for their outcomes. You ought to be able to talk about this, certainly with the teachers and the administration of a Christian school, and then of all places in the church, this is where you want problems to happen. Everybody always wants—they don't want problems in the church. No, you—you you actually want problems in the church. Why? Because nowhere do you have as much help to deal with those problems, and so. I can look at Chad and I can say, I know what Chad believes to a certain degree about a lot of things because he's been willing to send under Carl Robbins preaching for how many years? Yeah, I'm six six years? Yeah. So so that's a lot of listening to this one guy talk. Um and, and there's some things he said. He's kind of rep, he kind of repeats himself. Um, and that's good. But that, that says something about Chad's commitments, It says something about my commitments, and so we think we should be able to talk. And then we also have these, these, these wonderful features of the church called elders. And so if I need a mediator, if I need somebody to jump in because I think Chad's being a moron and I'm just you know uh, i just not happy with how he's thinking, and it turns out Chad's thinking the same thing about me, that he thinks I'm a moron, sometimes that happens. Um, we can go to somebody else and say, we need help with this. We're struggling. Would you jump in and ask us some questions that we don't want asked, but we need to be poked a little bit? We want that help. So, work with your allies. You are in a context where you have allies to work uh, with. Number six, fight spiritually. Ephesians 6.10, full armor of God, calls us to fight spiritually, and it ends with... um, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being especially mindful that we need prayer and we need the Word. Fight spiritually these things. Don't make it about pop psychology. Make it about what does God's Word say? How does it direct us to resolve these? Uh, number seven, love. Teach your children to wage war by love and compassion, as well as obedience. Teachers, peers, bosses, people that they have conflict with, teach them the power... Of love, it is the summary of the law as Jesus teaches us. Love does no harm to a neighbor. It's the fulfillment of the law. Um, Teach your children to love God, to love their family, to love their neighbor, to love their stranger, to love their enemy. It's that wonderful, there's no person you get to not love. Every single person. Be teaching your children that from day one as a way to rescue them. Number eight, teach them how to self-advocate. Remember the, the earliest sin we see in the garden after eating forbidden fruit? Do you remember what it was? Not, not Cain killing Abel, but before that? Do you remember what Adam and Eve did immediately after their sin is called? What do they do? They blame shift. Uh, guess what? They propagated a whole race of blame shifters. Uh, we don't like blame. We want it to place it on other people. We like to be the victim. We like it to be somebody else's fault. It's just It just feels better if I can say it's somebody else's fault. Um, teach your children to repent of that. To say, no, own as much as you can, however you can. Teach them how to self-advocate. Uh, to, to say, let me figure out how can I do this better. To go to a teacher and to have a conversation. Say, I'm struggling in your class. I'm not getting what you're doing. Or it seems like you're upset with me a lot. What can I do to make it better? Uh, Not how do I change you as a teacher, but how do I change me as a student? Same thing in their relationships. Uh, Number nine, preserve their dignity. Whenever you're rescuing your child, preserve their dignity to the greatest extent you can. They're made in the image of God. They're worthy of dignity and respect. You would want to have your dignity preserved. And so try not to... You may have to deal with a lot of people and get a lot of information, but at the same time, try not to broadcast it um, unnecessarily, more than is necessary for their help. Um, And then number ten, consider extreme measures consider extreme measures we talk about the radical amputation of sin sometimes you have to do something that is uh, extreme uh, you may have to eliminate relationships completely you can't be with this person there's no form or fashion in which you can be together with this person I'm going to change schools so that you're not near them I'm not going to allow any kind of romantic relationship to go on I um, uh, Whatever, however, you, you may have to do that. Um, uh, detox and rehab are real things. They might be needed for, for some addictions. Um, but just keep remembering, you own everything as parents. There's nothing that you don't own. Cash, clothing, technology, transportation, food, furnishings, sheets, pillows, food, all yours. Stuffed animals. Stuffed animals. It's, you own it all. Um... And um, uh, you do have to feed them, uh, but um, most of those things are benevolences. They don't have to be there. Uh, and so, so don't subsidize sin. Don't give them a phone. Don't send them to college. Um, whatever it is, if if there's no stewardship of that, if there's no accountability for that, it's not a right. Um, Godliness with, with contentment is great gain. Those are the things that you want you want to cultivate um, in your children. So, you, so use those tools. And then kind of the last thing to summary, of, sorry, I'm, I've gone late, but um, don't lose sight of the mission. Remember the gospel and the gospel promises. is there is no thing that happens to your child that is so bad that the gospel is not the answer to it. Uh, if your child murders someone else, the gospel is still the answer. It, it doesn't cease to be the answer for whatever sin rears its ugly head in our, in our children's lives. So never forget that's from the beginning, from the time that they're two years old, and you're disciplining them, you're pointing them to Christ and the gospel, to the time that they're, they're 18 years old and, and, and you're sending them off to college and they tank it in their first year, as the gospel is, is still the answer. So, so don't lose sight of that as being the thing that you're most concerned about your kids getting. And we'll talk more about that as we go on. Alright, let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for your resources which you provide. We pray that you would make us wise stewards of our children, that we would think of them in right ways, we would see them as the arrows that you declare them to be, and that we would make them useful for this world. Make them strong and wise and good as you would us as well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, thank you.